Oregon Ramenins and Restaurant in Ashland, Massachusetts serves traditional and authentic Japanese ramen Thai noodle soups and the best chicken wings in the Metro West. Everything's done in-house from scratch, and they use only the highest quality products from small farms. Co-chef owners Papanook and Alan McIntosh combine their culinary skills with traditional Japanese cuisine to create an authentic, amazing flavor in every dish. Located at 1 West Union Street on Ashland, Massachusetts, their phone number is 508 309-3416 or they can be located on Facebook at Dorgan Ramen Ashland and on their website as well www.dorganramen.com Exciting episode of the Vampire Movie Minute podcast covering the 1985 sci-fi horror movie Life Force. I am your host, Dr. Chris. And I'm Scott Danielson. And tonight we are talking about minutes 20 to 25, beginning with the security guard looking at the space woman and another security guard not under, being able to understand what the hell he just saw. <laughs> Quite possibly it's the very greatest... Confusing. What was that, Scott? I said it's very confusing. Yes. Uh, a fully grown 19-year-old naked beautiful woman is very confusing to both of these gentlemen. We begin with a security guard entranced by beauty and the beast in one. Yes. That is that is that's where we start. Yeah, he seems to be drawn to her, uh, reaches out to her, and then uh, what he believes is the cadaver opens up its eyes and gets up and starts to smile and then starts to walk towards him, starts to smile at him then kisses him, and then a bunch of lightning starts to happen, and there's some swirling lights above him, and then he seems to start losing his energy and yes. his bodily fluids. Matilda May, uh, beautiful, beautiful Matilda May. At 2108, we have uh, what many consider to be some of the best breasts in sci-fi. No work done here. Definitely all real. Yeah, she's a, she's a beautiful woman. 55 years old as of this year. Yeah, uh, I mean, and from from the looks of it, this is this is one of the few English pro- English projects that she was a part of, which is interesting considering how early it was in her career. There's a great photo of her that comes up later on in the movie. That's just a still photo of her where she's got like the white robe on and it's all blue. You know, it's very cascading. And again, in the special mm-hmm. effects, the uh, makeup artist talks about he touched her up tremendously to make her just look like something magical, something otherworldly. Like, no woman on Earth could look this perfect. And I I believe that to be true, because she is just flawless in every part of her. And she's also supposed to be five foot ten, but that security guard's got to be over six feet tall for her to not, for him to lean down to kiss her, right? Yeah, I mean, if, the, if she is that, yeah, if she is that tall, then that, that is, yeah, she, yeah, she's listed as five ten, so yeah, I imagine that guard must have been like six two. Uh, you look at photos also of her. Also t- in shoes, that probably helps. Uh, yes, uh, but later on, she's definitely not wearing shoes because we see the back side, the back side of her. Uh, now, did you notice how quickly the camera turns around when she gets up off the table? We get the full breast shot, but when it's when she gets off the table, when we're about to see her lower half, the camera immediately cuts to her back side. Didn't notice that, but I mean, it, it makes sense now that you've 
You mentioned it. They cut immediately as soon as she gets her legs off the table to show no downstairs business whatsoever. My guess is that they probably had to do something like that to avoid an, an NC-17 or an X rating. Right, because they were definitely already going to get an R rating because of the amount of nudity in this girl. It's a shame she doesn't have a name. Now, in the novel, by the way, she has uh, she is uh, she has clothes. She has like a sexy very low, incredibly low-cut dress. You know, she's still very promiscuous, very, you know, full-breasted, you know, cleavage, but not nude. Ah, okay. They went through apparently over hundreds upon hundreds of auditions for this girl, and they could not find somebody that was as perfect as they needed it. Interesting. Kind of kind of weird to think about what that audition would have been like, but... Uh... <laughs> I'm assuming it was done tastefully, classy, you know, I would I would hope so. Uh, most auditions that I've accompanied friends to, or auditions that I've heard stories about, it's you go in clothed, you bring in photos of you nude. I see. Okay. The second audition is when they ask you to come back to take off your clothes. Well, one one would hope, I guess, that it's only for callbacks. Yeah, the callback is you need to be prepared that this is. You know, you're going to get naked in this movie. They need to see you naked in person. But usually you will go in clothed with pictures of you in bathing suits, uh, lingerie, or naked if you, you know, if you have them. And there is nowadays, and I'm sure it's still happening, backroom casting couches and all sorts of stuff that we see on Pornhub that's all made believe, by the way, acting and things like that. They have a woman on, on, on uh, during the audition. Same thing goes with guys. You know, if you're asked to appear nude in the first audition, I would be very careful. You know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah. usually callbacks are the nude callback. Um, but I do yeah. remember her returning for uh, years later. I don't I don't think I've seen anything she's ever done except for playing Isabel in The Jackal, which is a Bruce Willis, Richard Gere movie. Yeah, it's a remake of The Day of the Jackal. Jack Black's also in that movie. Oh, my God. Arm enough, but uh, – <laughs> Uh, Bruce Willis. That's too funny. So then we have uh, Bukowski. Is that his name? Yeah, Bukowski. Yeah, Bukowski sees uh, what's like. He sees that the space girl has gotten up. Sees that he's going. Sees that she's going to the guard. And then something weird's happening. So he rushes down, and then uh, he finds that the guy's been drained. Um, He's based. He he looks like uh, if you've seen the Mummy, he looks like what happens to. (laughs) <laughs> the, the folks who get uh, taken by the mummy uh, is just kind of all drained of bodily fluids and everything like that, just kind of a skeleton with some skin. Yeah, and then uh, the space girl shows up, and then in a voice that is definitely not Matilda May, says, use my body. And then, <laughs> Sorry. And then, and then we're not quite sh- – and then it's not quite sure what happens. And then uh, the doctor uh, that we talked about before, his name is Dr. Hans Falada. Uh, he shows up and he's like, "Okay, we gotta, we gotta take, we gotta, you know, give me the like the, the defense minister. We gotta make sure this, like, we gotta. I'm calling on behalf of Doctor Bukowski. We gotta shut everything down to make sure this girl doesn't get out." Matilda looks so beautiful in certain lights, in full light, where we see her completely, you know, her face in bright light or completely nude. Yes, she's pretty. But I think in the blue light coming up, covered in the blood, but in the shadow when she's in the corner after, you know, um, the Bukowski finds the uh, dead, dried up, mummified security guard, she looks enchantingly beautiful in the shadow. You know, it's like a vampire would hide in the shadow and she just she's staring at him in the shadows, you know, and and 
that just the lust and the lore is there in her eyes. Yeah, I mean it's I mean it's it's doing it's doing its job, and they even shift the camera so that it's kind of viewing it through Bukowski's eyes because it's viewing down. It's at an, the camera's at a higher angle than it was before. Before it was like level with her, and now it's a bit up, so she's looking up in the camera. I wonder how well the temperature was controlled on that set. I I would hard to say. It depends on what 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 time of year you were in England. Did you ever? I'm assuming and I'm, because I think we've talked about it. You've seen Fright Night, right? Yes, I've seen Fright Night. Okay, so have you listened to the Fright Night Movie Minute podcast? Uh, no. Okay. I can't say I have. They've covered every minute of Fright Night. They're going to start Fright Night Part 2, or they already have. I'm not entirely sure. But they talk about a scene in particular that I had Tom Holland, director on my radio show, talk about saying, what was the most what was the most usual scene in Fright Night that you had to film? And he said, oh, there's a scene with a hooker. And we needed her to be sexy as hell. We needed her to just turn all the heads. There is a scene where she's wearing no bra and just a nice like, tucked into her belt, you know, uh, shirt thing, kind of like a robe, but women wear, like, a dress. I, I, don't, I don't know what mm-hmm. the, it's called, some fashion of the 80s. And he's like, we, we needed it to stand out like crazy. So I went to her, and I went to the makeup person and said, we want your breasts to perk up a lot. We're going to ask you to do it yourself, but could you rub ice on your nipples? Wow. Yeah, and she Uh-oh. said, okay. <laughs> You know, he was like, I want you to do it. I want you to feel comfortable doing it, you know, someone else doing it for you. But we we want to do it. But we want you to do it, you know, to yourself. And she did it. And it perked her, her breast right up because they were just so ice cold. So she, like, stands out in the scene when she's going to uh, uh, Jer- Jeremy Dandridge's house in Charlie Caesar. That's what, that's what a way to get the shot you want, yeah. <laughs> so I'm kind of wondering if they did that here a couple times. I'm just, I'm just curious, so. Yeah, um, I don't know. I'm sure her being a model has been used to having certain body parts augmented for the runway. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's hard, it's hard to it's hard to say. I mean, they're always if not if nothing else, just kind of used to kind of taking direction and you know being well, told to emphasize different things and different looks and things like that. So right, uh, a friend of mine interviewed Karen Gillian. Uh, Karen Karen Gillian about uh, it was a scene in Guardians of the Galaxy and James Gunn was like had her and Gamora like walk back and forth as the camera pans up to them over and over again mm-hmm. to get like different angles and different shots of just these two powerful women and how sexy they can walk. The last line uttered just before we end our minutes is uh, you're never you're never gonna, you're never believe what I'm looking at. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're not going to believe what I'm looking at. And the line before, because there's nothing spoken until that. Uh, well, there's nothing spoken until the guard speaks. Uh, Doctor Falada says something like, "Oh, I think we can handle a na- like like a naked girl is not going to escape here," is what he says. And then <laughs> the security guard. The shot is. <laughs> it's kind of a brilliant shot in in some ways because they have Matilda May's silhouette cross him like her nude silhouette crosses the security guard before he even sees her and then he just looks and then sees her behind and then then he makes his call and say, says you're never gonna believe what i'm looking at it is kind of funny and that yeah, is how we end, end our minute. five minutes yeah uh, i thought we were gonna get the glass shot where she like walks off across the uh the glass but uh no i think that's in the next five minutes yeah it's the next five minutes we'll, we'll start off with that uh who plays the security guard at the very end do we have a name for this actor 
I'm looking around. Uh, da, 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 da. Yeah, it's just there's no nobody listed. It's like first guard or brash fatherly guard or brash guard, and I don't know who how you determine which one is which. Yeah, I mean the brash guard looks very thin and is still alive today, whereas this gentleman is definitely much older and very overweight. Yes. So um, and the other two do not them. have. They don't have. Uh, they don't have uh, 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 pictures. Uh, we have a John Keegan who played guard. Period. No other name. He could possibly be the guy in the trailer image thumbnail for Life Force. Uh, because I don't know. I, I honestly, I am grasping at straws because guards just don't seem to have names. But there is one guard. He's just he's just called guard. That's it. Nothing more. And then there's, there's mm-hmm. the guards that you identified. Yeah. What did you have for for us about Dan O'Bannon before we ended the five our uh, coverage? Yeah, Dan O'Bannon. Um, well, he's basically uh, in many ways he's he's something of kind of kind of a legend of sci of sci fi because he is the screenwriter behind Alien. And then, uh, for those of you who are wondering how John Carpenter got his start, he's also the screenwriter behind Dark Star. So, very a lot of, and then kind of put out a, a couple other movies, that, at least that I've seen, but not a ton of people know, including uh, Dead and Buried, which is a, a kind of an underseen, you know, zombie horror movie in from 1981. A helicopter action movie called Blue Thunder, which is where he first started working with uh, Don Jacoby, who's a co-writer on this movie. And he also did Return of the Living Dead. Uh, which which came out the same year as Life Force. And then I think Toby Hooper must have enjoyed uh, his Life Force script because he also penned uh, Invaders from Mars with Don Jacoby. And then his last big, truly big movie that he wrote the screenplay for was he ended, he started off the, the new sci-fi decade with Paul Verhoeven's Total Recall. He wrote the screenplay for that as well. So a lot of very influential movies that he had his hands in. And he hasn't really, hasn't written... Uh, didn't write much after that. He passed away in uh, 2009 at the age of 63. But uh, pretty much just kind of uh, seemed to did – did a couple of ex- other movies, did a movie called Screamers, another called Hemoglobin, but nothing to this uh, scale or acclaim as the Alien and uh, Total Recall. I have a Dan O'Bannon story. In 2013, I was at Necronomicon, which is an H.P. Lovecraft celebration that happens in Providence, Rhode Island. In fact, uh, it's every other year, so it actually skips the pandemic, and we'll come back next year, hopefully. And it's a citywide event, um, and is very cool. Lots of uh, film festivals and panels and uh, art galleries and things like that. A big celebration of the work of H.P. Lovecraft. A lot of people don't feel like they should be a celebration of H.P. Lovecraft, considering what we know about him today. At the 2013 celebration, Dan O'Bannon's wife, uh, Widow, was there, and she had with her a copy of one of his films. Uh, One of his films is based on an H.P. Lovecraft story. Do we know which one that was? I don't remember the name of the film she had. There's he directed three films, including uh, there's a short called Bloodbath, The Return of the Living Dead, which I mentioned earlier, and then there's one called The Resurrected. I think that's it. Um, I think The Resurrected. Yeah, th- yes, yeah, it's uh, it's based on the case of Charles Dex- Dexter Ward, uh, the H.P. Lovecraft story. Yep. Exactly. So she has an uncut copy of this film, and she's been trying to find a distributor for it. Now, as of the last Necronomicon. Uh, I don't think she still found a distributor for it yet, which is very, very sad because she's had, she has, apparently has the only 35 millimeter print of the film, the way her husband intended the film to be seen. Oh wow! Yeah, 
And I was thinking, I, and I even mentioned her, it's like you got to get a hold of somebody at like Scream Factory or Arrow or Criterion, you know, one of those companies. Buy yeah. this film from you. They will buy this film from you and restore it and give it a proper release. And they'll probably even ask you to, you know, be involved with the, the the bonus material because Dan's, you know, passed away. And she was like, "Do you know how? Do you know? Do you have any contact?" And I gave her like one contact. So maybe they weren't interested. I don't know. I know she's still alive today. I'd love to talk to her again about it. So a few hours later, sorry, um, this was at a panel that she was on talking about this film. Then I didn't know. Then I got on the elevator, and she was on the elevator with me. And I was like, oh, you're, are you, are you Dan and Bannon's uh, widow? And she's like, yes, I'm whatever her name was. Nice to meet you. I was like, I'm Chris. And we got to talking, and then uh, we parted ways. And then a few hours later, if you know anything about Providence, there's this river in Providence that has these water fires on it. Uh, during the summer and spring. I don't think it happened this year, but they light up these giant bonfires on the river in Providence, and tons of people come around and see it. And uh, they had this, like, giant band playing uh, this uh, all this H.P. Lovecraft, like, rock and roll music, and tons of people around there. And I ran into Dan's wife again, and I was like, oh, Miss O'Bannon, nice to see you. She, How did you enjoy the uh, second or, you know, first day of the event? I forget what day it was. And she's like, oh, I absolutely loved it. I got to meet all these nice people, and and uh, and so on and so forth, yada yada. And she's like, "But uh, I can't find my friend. Would you walk with me while I continue to looking for my friend who's supposed to uh, walk me walk with me back to the hotel?" And I was like, "Oh, abs- absolutely!" So then she takes my arm and we begin to start walking around the river. And she's like, "Do you have any? I know you work. You said you worked at a radio station. Would you? Did you have any questions about about Dan?" And I was like, "Oh my god!" So I just started like asking yeah. all these questions about her husband, you know, uh, about Alien and so on and so forth. And what's funny is at the time we're recording this, uh, last week from Dark Horse Comics, the final issue came out, and you can buy the trade paperback as well, the hardcover, of the original Alien screenplay by Dan O'Bannon was printed into a comic book by Dark Horse. Oh, very nice. Yeah. I was talking to the writer of this comic book, and I presented him a video about another famous horror or film icon that has a screenplay out there that was drastically changed to what we know it today. And I don't want to give it away, but me and him have been talking about, wouldn't this be a cool idea if we could get the original screenplay and pitch it to Dark Horse or whoever to turn it into a comic book based on the original screenplay? The title would still be the same as the movie, but, you know, in in small print, the original screenplay. Oh, very nice. Yes, definitely. That's all the time we have here tonight on the Vampire Movie Minute podcast covering Life Force. We'll be back next week with Minutes 20 to 25. You can find us on Facebook at the Vampire Movie Minute, as well as the Twitter. If you would like to help support the podcast, buy us a cup of coffee. Buy us a slice of pizza. Go over to Buy Me a Cup of Coffee backslash Radio of Horror and make a donation to the podcast. It supports all the podcasts on the network. Need a new soundboard? I could use new headphones. Scott probably would like some new headphones. But also, cloud <laughs> service for the podcast, cloud space for the podcast costs money. So if you'd like to help make a donation to help support the podcast, please do. You can send us an email as well as thatradioofhorror at gmail.com. And you can send us a tweet at our individual Twitters at ChrisDSAV. And I'm at Scott C. Daniel. And we'll be back next week. Do you love what you hear on the podcast? Please go to Buy a Cup of Coffee. The Radio of Horror link is in the show notes or it's on top of the Twitter page. Or you can just go to buymeacupofcoffee.com backslash Radio Horror. And you can help support Goth Girl Horror, and the other podcasts here on the Radio Horror Network. Donations go towards cloud service and new equipment. Thank you.